Hey guys, welcome to tonight's show. I apologize for the uh, pop-up kind of thing on this. This is I'm going to call this a pop-up show today. I haven't felt good. I didn't feel good last night. I didn't feel good today. So um, I'm not doing a live guest today. I just don't have it in me. I'm just my my stomach's doing flip-flops. I don't know if I have the flu or what's going on. So I decided to do a pop-up reading show. I'm going to be on for about an hour, and then uh, you guys can do what you need to do, or do you know? Go, go live your happy lives. I just didn't feel good today. Uh, one thing I want to get across, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means we can get to you. It might take us some time. California is a big state, but we can't get to you. But if we can't you know, get to you right away, we do have uh, mediums on staff. Oh, I see what's going on. Okay, we do have mediums on staff who can call you ahead of time. I just saw a different red thing that I've never seen before on the screen. Um, we do have mediums on staff that can call you and talk to you about what's going on in, in, in your residence or business. And in many cases, calm things down before we come out. Okay. Just enough so that we can get out there and see what's going on. All right. If you're watching from Facebook tonight, fantastic. Um, I'm going to be reading from Rain No Evil tonight. Okay. For about an hour. And, uh, it's a really good book. It's uh, written by M M Michelle Zirkel, and uh, it's based on a true story and uh, about what happened to her and her family. And we do have permission from Michelle and the publisher to read the book. I got uh, banned off of, off of TikTok till Sunday because I don't. I, I never got a reason. I don't know if it's because maybe they think it's copyright material, or some of the stuff in the book can be explicit. And I've been trying to read around the explicit stuff you'll, you'll notice because i'll slow down and try to figure out what i'm going to say and also uh her husband in the book is a police officer and we, i think last week we were talking about people be um, hurting kids and stuff so that might have been part of why we got banned last week but uh we'll be back on sunday with that and i'll try and clean it up as much as i can on sunday and see what happens um and then i'm going to clarify several times during the show that i do have permission to read the book as well okay that being said, again, if you're watching from Facebook, thank you. I appreciate you coming. And I appreciate the people on YouTube who watch the show as well. Um, if you like what you see and you haven't done so already, you can tell I'm not there altogether. If you like what you see and you haven't done so already, please feel free to um, hit those like buttons, hit those thumbs up buttons, hit those heart buttons. Also, if you haven't done so already, please uh, hit the follow button on Facebook. That would be great. We're always looking for followers. And if you're watching from YouTube, please hit that uh, subscribe button if you haven't done so already. We have more than 585 videos sitting over at YouTube that you can check through, and I think you'll find something that you'll like. Check your perusal. Also, I'm in the process of moving those videos around to put them into categories on YouTube so that it's, the topics that you like are easier to find. Okay, and you can just go to each, each playlist. All right, so the, without further ado, I'm going to start reading this. And I have one more thing. Oh, yes, one more thing to say. For those of you who want to join the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team meetup, which I, I would love you to join. However, if you don't have a normal photo of yourself, I'm not going to accept your membership over there, okay? I want to see your face. So unless you have a photo along with your membership request or, you know, for your for your ID on, on, on a meetup, I'm not going to do it. Okay. That goes for Facebook and everywhere else as well. All right. So just remember that. Okay. 
So without further ado, I'm going to read uh, Reign No Evil. We're in Chapter 10. And a lot's going on at this house. It's, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. She, um, Michelle's character has, has sat in front of her bedroom mirror and seen a demon appear over her face, like it had been in her body, that kind of thing. And they're also getting water. they got water dripping from their roof, and they don't know where it's coming from. Not only is it dripping, but at times it even sprays, and they don't know where it's coming from or why it's doing that. So that's, you know, they're trying to investigate, you know, what the cause of that is. So they're not sure what it is yet. So that's where we're at, and uh, we're in Chapter 10. So let's do this. And again, I apologize. I, I just don't have it felt well. The Commode Geyser. I tuck the boys in bed and I'm closing the drapes in my bedroom when I hear Alex's cell phone vibrating on his nightstand. He usually takes it into the bathroom with him, which I figure is his way of preventing me from, I'm just flipping here, reading his messages. <clears throat> He's still in the shower. I can hear it running. I rush over to the table, snatch the phone, and punch in his passcode that he doesn't know I, that he doesn't know I know. A message from someone named Raven reads, Hey, sexy, hey, sexy, last night was amazing. I can't wait to see you again. Next time, longer. I felt like the Earth just collided with another planet. Like every hope I had of hot-wiring my relationship with Alex was jerked out from under me. Like I'm a crystal candelabra left teetering after the magician yanks the tablecloth away. I have no right to feel hurt by his betrayal, but I do. I leaned against the table to steady my shaky stance and read the text again, the words ringing the last of the campfire joy out of my heart. Who's Raven? I thought if he was seeing anyone, it was Stacy Chutney. Maybe he's messing with them both. The shower water is silent. I flick the phone to lock, place it on the table, and gain two steps before Alex struts out, struts in, clasping a towel around his wet waist. He hasn't even bothered to dry off. His eyes search the table, then my face. Does he know I've been sneaking peeks at his messages? No, he can't. A sense of pride spir spir spirals up my spine. He doesn't even know I have the passcode. Probably thinks I'm too inept to discreetly watch him enter it. I could call him out now. So what if he knows I was a snoop and, and read his text? He's the bad guy here, not me. Alex snatches up his cell, checks it, and swivels the towel and swivels towards the door. Drops of water dot his tanned shoulders and funnel into the crease in his spine. I step close to him and reach out, my fingertips touching the towel. I want to rub the soft, soft cotton, cotton across his back and have his moist arms hold me. I want him to hold me like I'm special, not just some chick he's been slamming, but he jumps like my fingers have poisonous fangs. What's wrong? I ask, my hands still outstretched. You always do something better than me. You always have to do something better than me, Alex says. Think I can't even dry myself off? What? I say, my eyes pleading with his for a semblance of understanding. That doesn't make any sense. I wasn't. But he's already thrown on a pair of shorts and is walking down the steps. I'm not sure why he said I always do have to do something better than him. Hell, he always tells me how I'm doing something wrong. Now he's saying I'm always doing something better than him. I wish he could hear himself and how confusing his statements are. I could tape him, but he wouldn't listen to himself any, any more attentively than he does to me. And he'd be mad. 
at the mere suggestion that he needed to. Maybe he's mad because he suspects I snooped a look on his phone. Maybe he's mad because I was right about there being a nail in the tire. I could spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what triggered that man, and I'd still be clueless. Darn him. I just find out he's cheating on me, and somehow I still feel like the one at fault. What if Alex is in love with this raven and leaves me for her? My legs buckle, and I collapse into a heap on the floor. I'd be nobody. I'd be Templeton's ex in the community, his throwaway. And that might be worse than staying married to him and knowing I'll never live up to his expectations. I'll never be enough. I'll never be good enough at cooking or cleaning or communicating to please Alex. And now I'm not even tantalizing enough in bed to keep him from wandering about. But maybe he's looking for more than sex, too. After all, I'm getting it from other guys, even though he sexually pleases me. Isaac comes panting into the room, and I jump off the floor like a jack-in-the-box. The intensity pouring from his eyes draws me into the hall where he points towards his room. What now? I say, trailing behind him as he forges past Ben's room. Isaac cups his hand over his mouth, so I lean close. So close I get a whiff of smoke lingering in his hair from the jocular campfire that seems locked in a cave far away. Mom, he whispers. A hand came through my wall. I pull back and look into his eyes for the slightest insincerity, but there's not much, not so much as a smirk. Maybe my crazy is contagious like lice and my youngest has caught it. A hand, I say, in your wall? I glance around the room like a hand's really going to reach out from behind the camouflage curtains and choke me. Yeah, right there, he says, scooting in close to me and pointing to the exterior wall with a window that looks out over the backyard. The stairs creak. Alex must be heading our way. I definitely don't want him to catch this latest bizarre story, so I pull the door shut, my line of vision trailing Isaac's finger to the olive-colored wall. All I see is, a frame, is the frame-plaid cross that's made with excess material from Grandpa Happy's hem pants. After Grandpa died, quilting the scraps into a symbol of Christ's physical death and spiritual ascension seemed an appropriate way to display the concept of Grandpa's spirit merging into eternal oneness with God. There's nothing there now, sweetie. Were you watching something scary on TV when you saw it? You always ask me that. The Cosby Show isn't scary, Mom. Please. Isaac says, pleading, pleading for me to listen to him, like he's asking me to buy him a dirt bike for his birthday. I swear, I was on my bed. I rolled over, and a hand was in the wall. Honey, I really don't know what to tell you. Maybe you were dreaming. As soon as the words are out of my mouth, I realize I sound like Alex, when he tries to convince me that I'm wrong about spirits in the Bible, or about anything. And I'm sorry for making Isaac feel this truth must be a lie. Isaac folds his arms. No, I wasn't. Even if he did see it, I don't know what I can do about it. This is a more elaborate problem than I've encountered as a parent and wasn't addressed in my high school parenting class where all I had to do was carry, well, was carry an egg with me for a few days and prevent it from getting broken. A difficult task at the time, but right now I could prop Humpty Dumpty on my shoulders and march him through the Macy's Day Parade. The more chaotic my life becomes, the more determined I am to outsmart whoever dumped the contents of Pandora's box down my chimney. After all, 
I've survived living with Alex's arrogance and his infidelity for years. I've educated the young vandals and bullies at school that, Al that Alex arrests when they graduate to criminals. And now I'm dealing with these weird, possibly paranormal events on my own because Alex is too chicken. Underneath his strapping muscles is a squeamish boy who runs when confronted with the unknown. I'm thankful I was raised in an evangelical church where I was exposed to not only concepts about spirits, but given the opportunity to witness the principles in action. So, was it on the wall like this? I asked, pressing my hands in the wall. Isaac jumps knees first onto the bed and places the backs of his hands on the wall, palms facing us. No, like this. Could a ghost in the wall have tried to press its way out? I don't know what's going on, but something is definitely strange around here. And it all started about the time I saw that darn demon in my mirror. I usher Alex into Ben's room and instruct Isaac to keep the hands a secret from his dad because Alex won't understand. Not that I do either, but I'm like Alex. I'm willing to accept the fact that I don't know everything. Isaac scooches into bed beside Ben, who rolls facing away from his dear brother, mumbling about how Isaac's a baby. In my room, Alex is snoring, the sound of which annoys me. I know he can't help it, that he, that he has sleep apnea, but the sound is just one more way Alex intrudes on any peace. And knowing he's been flying high with Raven makes me want to pinch his nose and shut and listen to him gasp for breath. I want him to feel like I do just once, to feel like he may be taking his last breath any moment and come panting alive and realize he wants to live the magic in every moment, maybe even realize that he wants to enjoy that magic with me. I fall asleep dreaming about carrying eggs. They explode and they explode and ghostly white hands reach through the jagged broken shell. Over a protein drink Monday morning, I'm still swallowing the images of delight on, on Raven and Alex's faces as they soar together. Alex cocking his hips to just the right angle, pushing hard until Raven squawks, her claws digging. Alex close for as long as possible. By fourth period, the images of, of their naked bodies appear on the page, obscuring the words I'm trying to see as freshmen take turns reading, my side of the mountain, aloud. Imagination kidnaps my comprehension, making me feel like a student again, not really listening to the words being read, just hearing a hum of chatter as I create scenes in my head. I don't know anyone named Raven. Could she be someone Alex is in contact with during the day, or possibly an attorney's secretary or a courthouse employee? If the business card I found in Alex's uniform is, is an indication he's having an affair with textbook Stacy, he could have dubbed her as Raven, using a pseudo name like I do for Ryan. But at least that would mean he's seeing only one other woman instead of two. I wonder how many others I don't know about, and if Alex is empty as he makes uh, is as empty as he makes me feel. That would mean he doesn't have any love to give, and maybe he never will, no matter how much I pray or pout or cry or yell. Alex may never be capable of giving me the love I need. The bell rings for class dismissal without me asking the exit questions like all good teachers do to reinforce comprehension of the fresh material. I don't even know where the last reader left off in the chapter. Last thing I remember, Sam, our main character, burnt out a hemlock tree to live in. 
I'm not so desperate to escape my family that I, that I would abscond to the woods and live in a tree. At least not yet. A tent sounding pretty comfy, though. A waterproof one. A colorful poster on the bulletin board in the back of my room catches my eye. I've read it to students numerous times, but today the words take on new meaning. Attitude. A small thing that makes a big difference. It reads, and I realize that my attitude is one of jealousy. That just thinking of Ryan getting her hands on my man makes me feel desperate and determined to keep him. After all, I have agency here. The house, the history, and more importantly, my kids. But my jealousy is binding me into a situation that is not enhancing my life. I feel like a meadow full of seedlings ready to burst through the soil to full bloom. Yet, I want to remain safely tucked in the earth for fear of, for fear of flood or wind or of the scorching sun. If I ever hope to sprout into a joyous daisy, I need to spread my roots and dig into the fear, the fear of failure, the fear of being alone. I've been jealous for so long, guilty for long, for long enough. My guilt about fornicating is thick, like a layer of wax compared to Alex's spackle of pledge. He can't feel as badly as I do. Enticing men to touch me may be unscrupulous. But that's better than being marooned on an island of despair, or worse, being a floating corpse. I can't allow that to happen. I can't allow myself so desperate for Alex's love that I kill myself. By halfway through lunch period, I come to the conclusion that the only time I feel I have any self-worth is when I'm spending time with another man. But it's all I've got. So if I must contend with a demon because I choose to cheat, then I'll plead for God's mercy, swearing. I made the best decision I could. Besides, he's had ample opportunity to extend his mighty helping hand onto our marriage and hasn't. I scroll through my phone contacts looking for an old flame that would be sure that would be a surefire bet to want to reignite. There's Kent. It's been years since I've slept with him. But when I ran into him at the post office last week, I could tell he wanted me. Finding his bottom lip like he already like he already had. His eyes trace the length of my body from my toes to my boobs. If Kent's like Alex, he's probably tired of having married relationship with his wife. So it's a safe bit. He'll be up for a romp. It's a few minutes past noon, but if I'm lucky, I can catch Kent at his office before he heads to lunch. Please remember that I do have permission from the author and the publisher to read this book, and I am trying to clean up some of these more explicit parts out of here, so just bear with me. On the phone, I tell the secretary that I need an accountant to file my taxes this year, that I'm opening a writing business. Maybe I really will. Tax write-offs alone would be worth the paperwork and could inspire me to manifest the invisible novel scripting itself inside my head. <clears throat> Before transferring my call, she asks how I've been and if I'm still teaching, how the boys are doing, blah, blah. When I worked in town at the library, she and I would do lunch at Cornerstone Quarry. She's just being friendly. But I just want her to patch me through to Kent, hoping he's, he's as receptive as a screener. Kent must know his secretary is nosy because he answers professionally, giving his full name and title, even though he knows it's me calling. I hear excitement hidden beneath his formal tone, and I find it reassuring. So I dive right in and admit that I don't need an accountant. I need, I need to lay and wonder if he's interested in providing it. Cold and direct, maybe, but straight. But straight's the only way he understands whether there's no romantic mush with Kent. 
Sounds good, Mrs. Templeton, Kent says. Mrs. Templeton, huh? I say. Nice touch. You can call me. Oh, God, later. I know he can't say much with, with his eavesdropper near. So I ask questions that only require a yes or no response until we have our rendezvous set for early in the morning at his accounting firm. Not my favorite time of day for, for fun, but I can work it in before school. Getting him to agree to meet was too easy to create much of an endorphin rush, but I hang up, my arms tingling in anticipation of the skin milling to come. Even though the intimacy will be, will be generic, it'll make me feel wanted, and that's something I desperately need to feel. Without that, I will be that floating corpse without hope of resurrection. Just as I'm finishing my fish and veggies, the school secretary broadcasts a request on the intercom for me to report the office. Not knowing which parent this is, I grab a notebook and pen. I just hope this is quick. I only have five minutes to, to use the restroom and get back to my room to greet the young education-starved minds, even though my own mind feels void of wisdom. I hopscotch over the legs of students who are reclining in the hallway and peer into the office where a line of parents are, are signing in and signing out students. Some toting gym bags, no doubt, forgotten by their child on the morning rush to school. I jerk open the door, scanning the room. The secretary points to a man in a Navy sports jacket sitting by the copier. Standing, he shakes my hand. This is definitely not a parent. Most of the parents in Ridgeland that I meet that I meet with don't wear sports coats or initiate a handshake. They are good flannel wearing folk, flannel shirt wearing folks who, if I'm lucky, remove their ball caps and spit their tobacco out before they enter the school. Hello, the stranger says, sounding very formal. But as Bourbon I say, hi, babe, looking, looking mighty fine. My name is Marcus, he says, rubbing his palms like he's trying to start a fire. I'm the new rep for Tudor's textbooks, the adapted series you've ordered in the past, and I'd like to show you the new titles available in class sets. Tudor textbooks, that's where Stacy works. You know Stacy Chutney? I asked before I realized the words were out of my mouth. Oh, sure, Stacy. She's got the southern region. Marcus says, his gaze exploring the cleavage in my barely school-appropriate blouse before snapping up to meet mine. Marcus, nice to meet you. I curl my tongue over my front teeth, hoping I don't have broccoli stuck between them. Marcus squeezes the leather binder under his arm like it's a football and crinkles his forehead into a puzzle. I know that look. I have my spot here. My hand brushes against my breast as I adjust the tiny pink belt, hitting right below my sternum, and try to avert my eyes. And try to avert my eyes. I clear my throat and click the pen against my thigh, thinking God sent this man to tempt me. God must have one heck of a sense of humor. I only have a few minutes till lunch is over, but my planning is last period. Could you come back then? Absolutely, he says, his eyes twinkling. I'll grab a bite to eat and give a shout-out to the elementary schools up this way. Marcus flings a backpack over his shoulder. So about 2.45, right? Yep, perfect, I say, stepping back into the hall through the door he's holding open. I click past a giggling group of senior girls, wondering if they're as intrigued by Marcus's exotic looks as this teacher is. As this teacher is. I feel Marcus's gaze pulling up my yellow skirt, his hands massaging my rear. <laughs> And I think maybe it's time to purchase a new series of books for my class. Yes, indeed. But could I be misinterpreting his, ma his mating signal? 
Maybe he's just a flirty salesman. Ted's already on my agenda anyway, and one discretion, indiscretion is enough. One's actually too many. I can't keep living this lifestyle. It's not, flag- it's not flagrant, but I'm bound to get caught. Gossip circulates throughout Ridgeland's beauty shops and grocery stores like sperm in a- like crazy. See, I had to stop that one. <laughs> Just sorry about that. Just searching for a place to land. The fastest flourishing word of mouth news is always who's doing who. And Alex with his, his, other, his other women and me with my other men have made our share of headlines in that category. I have to stop blaming Alex for my decisions and blaming myself for his. I can't make him treat me with respect any more than he can prevent me from cheating because of the lack of it. If I keep cheating, I have to own up to the fact that it's my decision to do so, and no matter how cruel Alex is to me, he's not in control of my body. Excuse me, what I do with it, I am. I can stay under Alex's radar for a while, but he's bound to catch me cheating. Maybe I want him to catch me. Then maybe he'd leave me, and I wouldn't have to make the decision whether or not to leave him. I'm afraid of being caught, but I'm even more intensely tired of feeling guilty. I want to feel like I did last year when Alex and I came clean with Alex when Alex and I came clean with each other. We promised to be faithful, or at the very least, to be honest with each other if we were going to mess around. We started fresh with the intention of cultivating honesty and respect. I love that feeling. The, re- the restfulness of being at peace with myself. It was as if a salty ocean breeze blew over me in a cleansing baptism, baptism making me whole. What happened to that feeling of righteousness? Oh, I know what happened. Ryan happened. But did I have to run into the arms of another man just because Alex wanted me to hold up some drywall? Promptly at 2.45, the office buzzes my room and tells me my visitor is back. As I escort Marcus through the hallway, crowded with students, changing classes, he tells me he moved here from Florida a few months ago to be with his ailing father and luckily got his rep job right away. I tell him it's sweet of him to help his dad, and I notice Mrs. Z practically at attention by her door. Her head is, down, is facing the office, but her eyes are on me and my exotic visitor. I direct Marcus to a table in the corner of my room by the bookcase, excuse myself, and strop over to squelch the room that is already gurgling in Mrs. Z's throat. New guy from textbook company, I say, crossing my arms and mimicking the veteran hallway monitor extraordinaire. Yeah. Like I don't have anything else to do during planning. Oh, I can tell he's new all right, Mrs. E says, as I stare down two boys who are lollygagging by the restroom until they mosey down the hall. The seasoned guys don't make appointments. They just stick a flyer in your boxes, she says. The bell rings, and she snaps her head toward her class. He'll lead up all your planning, she says, cocking her chin upward, her eyes half shut. Wouldn't that be a shame? I fake a laugh and strum across the corridor saying, he's only getting a few minutes, then he's out of here. Lesson plans due tomorrow. I slip into a hard plastic chair across the table from Marcus, half listening to a sales speech and half visualizing him smacking me on the butt with one of the books he's piled on the table. I pick one up, the latest version of Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, and within minutes, I tell him I'll complete a requisition for a set. As I help him pick up the demo books, his tan hands brushes mine. His tan hand brushes mine. Oh, sorry, he says, resting his hand on the pile. 
I place my hand on top of his so that it looks like I'm plunging an oath. It's okay, I say, withdrawing my hand and pressing my palms together prayer style, as if doing so will help me find a way back to that righteous feeling I crave. But it's too late for morality to soak into me right now. Marcus's whiskey-colored eyes have drawn me in like the aroma of a French vanilla coffee pulls me into a cafe. Marcus leans over the table and kisses me. Okay, that was fast. I can't believe this guy is being this forward. He doesn't know anything about me. Okay, because this thing in the right spot. Okay, except that I'm friends with Stacy. The word easy must be scrawled across the wrinkles of my forehead. Marcus edges around the table, not releasing his grip on my bottom lip. I don't want to do this. Marcus's fingertips trace my cheek, and my entire face tingles. Trying to find the spot. Okay. Oh, man, I got to stop this now. I peel myself from his grasp and tuck my hair behind my ear. Who would you think it was okay? Why did you think it was okay to do that? He He wipes my drool from his mouth. You look lonely. I can see it in your eyes. I stare into his eyes. He's right. I am lonely. But I didn't know it was so obvious. I felt a connection to you, Marcus says. Wanted to make you feel better. I don't want to feel better, and that kiss really, I, I do want to feel better, and that kiss really felt nice. Besides, Alex is messing around, too. Images from the past week stampede through my head. Stacy's card in Alex's pocket. The sex text from Raven. The anger on Alex's face as he screams, can't you do anything right? And the ecstasy on it as he... Okay, all right. I can do something right. I can make myself happy for a while. Got to lock the door, I say, jogging towards it. My newest distraction wraps his arms around me, and I free fall into them as if they are a safety net. Men are my nets, and I have several of them. If one breaks, there's another just waiting with pleasure to come to the rescue. At least if God fails me, fails to change Alex, maybe I won't have to do it alone. Excuse me a second. My allergy. See, I told you it didn't feel good day. I loosen the belt on my shirt while Marcus loosens his. Kisses my neck, his fingers fumbling with my shirt buttons. I pop the last one free, and his lips dive onto my chest. Okay. The dismissal bell could ring any moment, but I don't care. Fiercely. Okay, all right. Uh, okay. I'm just, yeah. The bell rings just, just as we start. We'll just do that. I sigh and grab his shirt from the floor, roll it up, and tuck it under my lower back. I don't need a bruise, but I'll have to explain to Alex. I eye the poster again. Attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. I arch my back. My attitude getting better. Okay. A door shuts down the hall. Dang Janner usually comes in to clean my room early, since he knows I have planning last period. If he happens to unlock my door, hopefully I can make a run. Get my shirt on behind the bookcase. Or I could grab the folder on my desk. Stick a pen in my hand, bellow out some education lingo, and and be having the most exciting parent-teacher conference this school has seen since Barbara Eden hit Harper Valley Harper Valley's PTA. Uh, let's see. This fire is the wrath of an almighty God who's punishing me for the fornication I just can't seem to avoid, no matter how much I try, no matter how much I pray, or how earnestly I listen to the man behind the pulpit. 
on Sundays. Just FYI, I'm, you know, I'm skipping over parts that I don't think are good to be reading online. So if you want to see the part, <laughs> if you want to see it, buy the book, Rain No Evil. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. All right, uh, Marcus says, half snorting, you're hot. He has no idea how hot I feel right now, how I feel like him on the edge of hell itself, my feet dangling above the highest reaching flame, ready to devour me. Should I loosen my grip of the one thing that keeps me suspended over rather than falling into the pit of no return to hope that one day I'll be strong enough to withdraw from all that tempts me and maintain integrity with myself for myself. The hope that one day I will like myself again. For now, I push the image of prayers and pulpits into the crevices of my body, squishing them into my toes, folding them, behind organs and dissolving them in corpuscles. I'll deal with the regrets later. Okay, I'm just... I'll pay dearly for this ride, but for now, I'm borrowing the wheel of the conductor. Okay, this is that's just where I'm at, okay? Five minutes. Okay, five minutes later, I, pu I pulled down on my skirt, Usher, Mar Usher Marcus's what's-his-face to the office to sign out and I'm squirting the secretary's hand sanitizer under my palm when I see Isaac, fresh off the elementary school bus, bobbing through the hall on his way to my room. A wave of disgust washes over me. What kind of mom does what I, what, what I just did? Isaac and Ben deserve better, with morals. I clear my throat that feels like it hasn't felt liquid since Christ was on the cross and manage to say thanks to Marcus, who was walking out the door. As I scurry to my room to touch base with Isaac, I feel unconnected to my own body like I'm only an observer and not in control of myself at all. My feet are carrying my body through the hall out of rote memory. Last year, when Alex and I resolved to be faithful to each other, I planned on living up to my end of the agreement, and I did for almost a whole year, but I've broken the promise twice now within a few days. I wonder if Alex's intention was as robust as mine. And if it was, why are we both messing around? All I know is I feel incapable of changing. I can't change him either. And maybe it's irrational of me to expect God to change either one of us. Isaac's in my room at a desk with a brownie in one hand and a computer mouse in the other. Ben's probably playing basketball in the gym. I gather papers I should have copied last period and ruffle out Isaac's hair on my way back to the office. When I was a girl, I never thought I'd be like this when I got big. I was going to be Betty Crocker, cranking out the New York Times bestseller while the casserole baked. My husband would come home from his executive job and tie my apron and spank me till I said I'm, I'd be a good girl. It was, it was my Fifty Shades of Fantasy before the beans were spilled on how good it feels to be bad, or at least pretend to be. Sometimes in a fantasy, I was Isis and twirled myself into a captivating siren that no one could hurt, like Mom hurt me when she left. Not the god of thunder or the likes of been like Alex. I'd pretend that I captured everyone under my spell. Women and men alike loved me. They had no choice but to, for I was Isis, goddess of love and healing. I facilitated between fantasies, but never did they consist of me being what I am. The daydreams began when Mom left Dad for another man. I was 11, and I didn't want to be like her. Maybe I've stayed with Alex because leaving him would prove me more like her than I want to admit. Maybe it was me and not Alex who isn't capable of true love. Whatever the case, I'm not a goddess with the power to make people really love me. Not mom or Alex. I'm only human with, with womanly wiles 
to physically seduce men, not the charming Isis that could endure myself to his heart. I'm making copies in the mailroom by the office when Mr. Myers calls to me from behind the counter. He's mounting the front desk, probably so the secretary can pee. Savannah, did, Di Savannah, did Di Diana's mom get a hold of you? Yes, I say, motioning him into the mailroom so the group of students decorating the bulletin board won't hear the conversation. You know, Diane's not even in my class anymore. Mr. Meyer swipes his ever-sweating forehead with a hanky. Well, what the heck did her mom call you for then? She said she was concerned over Diane's grade in science, you know, feigning a concerned parent. I say, sliding a stack of papers out of my mailbox. She's just trying to stay in my good graces so I won't call ch children's services again. I figure she might know Alex is investigating her. But let me check with him to see if, if he's close to pressing any charges and then I'll fill you in. Mr. Myers thanks me and heads off to play secretary, one of his many roles as the mayor of our establishment that's more like a mini city than a school. Other than not having bunks for everyone, the building is equipped with enough food, medicine, and entertainment that staff and students could survive for weeks without leaving campus. Our rural school is certainly cleaner and has more food in the fridge than many of our poverty-stricken students have at home. Some students, like Diane, have told me that they prefer living at school to living in their own homes. I've had a soft spot for Diane ever since she confided in me that being attacked by her, her father, who's now in prison for, for, for burning down his trailer to collect the insurance money. Okay, by her father, about her father, okay, who now, who's now in prison. Okay, yeah, to collect the insurance money. Her mom says she's... See, that's the stuff I thought got me in trouble with TikTok, so I've got to be really careful here. Um, her mom says she loves Diane and wants to help her, but Diane's told me stories of... See, this is where i got to be careful. Of drug parties coming and going at each hour of the night and how on occasion... Okay. All right. That's bad enough. But her mom encouraged her, encourages her to take the offer. And a few times, she has given in to her mom's demands. Okay. About four months ago, I called Child Protective Services regarding Diane because the heat in her mom's house was turned off. Now, mom's afraid the court will declare she's unfit and take custody of Diane, which means she'll lose the Social Security income Diane receives for being a student with a learning disability. Alex the snitch is supposed to make bias okay, from Diane's uh, mom so he can pin her with with distributing and get Diane out of the environment permanently. Drug enforcement is usually handled over the undercover drug agent. Over, is usually handed over to the undercover drug agent. But in this case, Alex is involved as a personal favor to me. My phone reminder, reminder dings. It's 3.30 and the plumbers are supposed to be at the house. I forgot. I bolt home. The plumbers haven't arrived yet, so I dial loose, even though I can't remember what time her school dismisses. It's been forever since I've called her at work, but her wedding is just a few weeks away and I've been neglecting my duties as matron of honor. The fact that we both chose teaching as a career is surprising because we're so different. I'm always juggling more of life's fireballs than my little sister, even now as she's finishing her degree to be a principal, preparing for a June wedding, and typing her fiancé Jack's assignments he brings home the police he brings home from the police academy on the weekends. Teaching and police work runs in the family's veins. Let me have a quick drink here. But like I said, if you guys want to, you know, get a more thorough reading of this book, then um, 
either get the you know buy the ebook or, or just go get the book itself. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to get in trouble with anybody. I sure, sure as hell don't want to get banned. So, okay. As I slump into my living room chair, Luce answers and tells, and I tell her about my house that seems to have a mind of its own, about the water leak and how Isaac saw a hand in his wall and Ben had a vision. Luce says she can't wait to come over Sunday for our birthday celebrations, not so much for the cake as to see the phenomena here for herself. Every time I mention the wedding, she diverts the topic back to the weird stuff going on in my house. I miss our visits. Before she met Jack, we'd spend hours on the porch chatting about everything from the latest music and fashion trends to, to, to just stories of student mayhem. When we were girls, see that's how stepped up I am. <clears throat> see then that does. When we were girls, I tried to make Luce be more like me. Dressed her like me. Had her practice talking fast and loud like me. Now I'm not sure if I want her. If I want, if I want to be like me. Excuse me. Told you I wasn't feeling good. Maybe I should be more like her. More responsible. Less obnoxious. More demure. Less risque. We're dealing. And we're deciding on what kind of cake to have Sunday. When a van pulls in the drive. I greet the two plumbers from Carter's Plumbing. A middle-aged man shakes my hand, introduces himself as a chief plumber of sorts. A young man about 25 years old, about 20 years old, his junior, stands, including a tool, holding a toolbox. Lots of dogs going crazy in the neighborhood for some reason today. I'm impressed that they're wearing uniforms and hope competency is indicated by their appearance. Those are not my dogs. Those are the neighbor's dogs. We walk through the office next to the kitchen, past pictures wrapped in plastic, and leaning against the walls, past family pictures. That's my dog. The second one you hear is my dog. I take it back. Uh, the walls, past family pictures displayed in pewter frames, and store-bought prints framed in cherry veneer. I lead them upstairs, pointing at the completely dry area on the ceiling, where the water first dripped, and explain my quandary. How the first night it happened, a single drop of water fell, from the ceiling right there, and before the night was over, water was shooting across the hall and down the stairs. I admit finding the leak will be tricky because no one in the house has seen it actually spray from the ceiling or a wall. We just hear a splat and see a soaked room. I feel like I'm giving a persuasive presentation on the existence of aliens to the two faces staring at me, wrinkled with doubt. John turns on the faucet in the shower and both bathroom sinks as his partner steps into the bathroom with him. I silently replay the hand-through-the-wall conversation I had with Isaac last night. I wish I could see what he saw. Maybe I could understand it better if I saw it myself. After a few minutes of listening to the running water, John turns it off and peers speechless into the hall where I stand speechless too. Nothing. Not a drop. John yanks his pants up by the empty belt loops and says, are you sure it's water? I mean, are you taking any medications that he looks at his partner like they are reading each other's minds? They don't even believe me. If they think I'm hallucinating from drugs, they aren't going to help me. I wish Alex were here to corroborate my story. The boys could, too. But they're just kids, and I told them to hit the basement playroom. What would you do if this were your house, I say, as we all clomp down the stairs? Well, dear, he says, I checked the splat. Water smacks the wall. The most pleasant 
sound to my ears. John's head jolts toward the living room. Now, my chief plumber and his buddy will know I'm not crazy. At least not crazy that, at least not the crazy that gets locked up. They rush into the living room, cocking their heads like dogs listening for a rabbit. I stick my hands in my jean pockets and grin while they scour the structure, squinting at the dripping wet walls and ceiling as if their vision is off kilter. John's cohort swipes his hand across a wet section of wall and sniffs the liquid on his fingers. John, there's no smell. Appears to be water. You ever seen anything like this before? John's head is telescoping in slow motion. Nope, I sure haven't. Not in all my 24 years of doing this job. He trucks into the kitchen, hunching and scoping every inch of the living room, like he's expecting another wall up at any moment. There are no water lines above the living room. No visible pipes in here either. Darn if I know. John walks toward the door. His partner a few steps behind and says, Gonna check the meter. I slip on my jacket and meet up with them in the front yard. The city worker already checked it and said our usage is normal for a household of four, I say. Yep, usage is average, John says. But you could have a slow leak. That might not show up on the meter. Doesn't seem so slow when it's whizzing across the room, but I'm tired of describing the indescribable. The only sound that trundles from my lips is a popping noise like I peel the suction cup from a window. And the only two words that I can form are, thank you. The two plumbers pile in their van as I tip all 110 pounds of me back to my heels and wave the guys on to their next job that I'm sure won't be nearly as interesting as a house call as mine. I stand in the yard and strain to see the river through the space between the boxcars on a passing train. I'd hope the plumbers would fix the leak so we could have a normal dinner full of the standard mix of the day's stories and trivial arguments. But now, I'm sure Alex's aggravation with the unresolved situation will dominate dinner. I'm surveying the contents of the freezer when I hear tapping on on the door glass. Dad's juggling a drill and subway bags. Dad may not ever host his own home improvement show. Home repairs for him are charging, are changing the furnace filter once every six months and slapping a new color of paint on a bedroom wall. But he heralds a broad scope of problem-solving abilities, and I need a fresh perspective. Ah, baby girl, he says, a toothpick teetering between his teeth. Before he has a chance to unfold his arms, I hug him. Closing my eyes, I inhale the familiar pull of fragrance. The same hug that told me I was worthy company when a boy stood me up at the Sadie Hawkins dance is now conveying the message that somehow everything's going to be okay. How'd you know I wanted dinner, I say, unlatching myself and the one person who wraps me with hope with every hug he gives me? Dad's eyes are wild. His whole face appears sucked backwards like he's traveling at the speed of light. I didn't. I always carry food and tools. I yell, boys, Papa's here. The sound of feet pounding up the steps precedes Ben's surprised face. He runs full force, tackling Dad, almost knocking him back against the counter. What you doing here, Papa? Ben says, spotting the yellow slogan on the bag. Awesome. Isaac rounds the corner. Mom, I just got sprayed upstairs. Oh, I say, shrugging toward Dad. Ben, get get paper plates, please. I point to the pantry. Boys, the plumbers couldn't find the leak, so Papa's going to take a look. You can help him after you eat. Isaac snatches the bags dangling from Dad's arms, and Dad says, Wasn't sure what to get. Just wanted to give your mommy a break. 
pizza subs for, for you hammerheads and chicken for me and my baby. Oh, cookies. Awesome, Ben says, elbow deep in the bag. I slide a mug under the coffee maker. Dad, French vanilla or, or hazelnut? Dad nabs one of the three cookies stacked in Ben's hand. French vanilla is perfect. Thanks for the food, Dad. Have you eaten? Am now, Dad says, taking a huge bite of cookie and waving the rest of it in the air. He sucks his lips around his gums and talks like he's toothless. Pawpaw like cookie. Ben gasps, inhaling this cookie and embarking on a coughing fit. Isaac snickers. Papa, you're crazy. Dad clears his throat. Mine's in the bag. Yours too, Savannah. Chicken salad with all the veggies I know the boys won't touch. He points at the boys like, like he caught them stealing money from the church's offering plate. Veggies, yuck, Isaac says. She's stringing from the bun he's inspecting. And please do remember that I do have permission from the publisher and author to read this. The aroma of teriyaki chicken makes my stomach gurgle for a bite, but I can't. But I can wait. I motion for Dad to follow me. I want to show you upstairs before Alex gets home. Dad and I walk upstairs to find water running down the walls and trickling over the white chair rail. I point to a spot directly in the middle of the hallway. Haven't seen it actually come from there. But that's where it first dropped on Ben. Dad lays the drill on the bookcase in the hall. We could drill a hole there and see if it's wet. He rubs his chin as if he's grasping for more possibilities. Roof or chimney could be leaking. The chimney runs up this wall, he says, pointing to the hall wall that also serves as one of the walls of Ben's room. Yeah, but wouldn't the attic be wet, I say? Like I told you, Keegan and Pete's uncle have already checked the attic and it's dry. Probably, unless the, sub, unless the subfloor is holding water. I'll get a ladder for the garage. From the garage. Dad returns, grasping the top end of the ladder. The boy's hoisting the legs. Hang on one second, I gotta check something here, guys. Just give me a second. Let's see where I'm at. Okay. Okay, just wanted to make sure. So that means... Okay. I have to time this correctly on here, so that's why. Dad mouths the ladder of the hall and, and angles the drill a bit towards the ceiling. Here? A little more to your left. Yeah, there. I say... I can't believe I'm letting, uh, I'm letting him drill a hole in my ceiling. As, dry, as drywall dust floats through the air, Ben glances behind him to Isaac and exclaims, Wow, Dad's going to be mad. Ben's probably right, but I can't worry about Alex right now. Dad's long shot is my only hope. At least we're trying to figure out where the leak is. I say, your dad's too busy to care. Instantly, I'm sorry I said that. It's not fair to me to say that. He's out keeping the world safe, but my world but my world is the one I want him protecting right now. I want him to be here, even if he can't fix the stupid leak. Just be here with me so we can go crazy together. Your dad's just too busy right now, and Papa's willing to help. I'm sure your dad will appreciate us trying. Even as I hear the words, I know they're a lie. He'll be angry and say dad's stupid. And I'm loony as a as a blackbird, eating fragmented eating fermented berries. Dad drills a hole and sticks his finger in. Dry as can be, he says, descending the ladder. Ben and, Al ben and Isaac help Dad navigate the ladder to the house and back to the garage while I sweep the drywall for the carpet. Maybe Alex won't be quite so mad if there's only a hole in the mess. Over coffee, Dad suggests I make a claim with our home insurance company. Even though we don't have water damage yet, Dad reminds me that we may 
if this continues, as his insurance companies often arrange outside contractors to help with special repairs. Ours is special, all right. We don't even know what needs to be, needs to be repaired. Dad heads home, and a few minutes later, Ben comes screaming into the kitchen where I'm stacking clean glasses. What the heck was that, Mom? What the heck? What now? I say, shutting the dishwasher. The water from inside the commode just shot up and hit the ceiling, Ben says, both hands pointing skyward. I can't comprehend. His words aren't making sense. I stare at him, feeling woozy. Ben points to the half bath and walks off. What? How? I ask. But I'm already a half trot behind him before he has a chance to answer. In the half bath, water is dripping from a huge spot right above the commode. As I shove down on the handle, I'm thinking there's no way water from the commode hit the ceiling. I flush. No gusher. I look at Isaac, who's now joined us. Mom, I swear it shot straight up there. Ben's eyes are earnest as he looks at the wet ceiling. Wow, Isaac says. I flush again. Still nothing, except the normal flush. Oh, Ben, I say, I can't take much more of this insanity. You've got to be joking. Ben hangs his head. No, Mom, I swear, it just hit the ceiling when I flushed it. Okay, I say, you flush it then. When Ben pushes the lever, the commode water forms a funnel and shoots to the ceiling. Oh my gosh, I say, this can't be really happening. It's impossible to have this many weird problems at once. Pretty soon, I'm going to be licking lithium from a salt block. I spread my arms for a group hug. That's all I know to do. Show my boys I am here even if this stupid house tries to drown us. I'm here and we're going down together. After the embrace, I send the boys to their rooms with a handful of snacks and orders not to come out. I'll have to tell Alex the news and he's not going to be a happy daddy. Ten minutes later, Alex bursts through the door. Where have you been? I've been calling you for hours. The plate I'm setting in the cabinet teeters on my hand. Must I have to start every sentence with an apology? Oh, sorry, I don't know where my cell is, I say, pulling my sub out of the bag and realizing Dad's sub is still inside. Here's your sub, Alex, I say, heading to the living room and wondering if Dad purposefully left the extra sandwich. What'd you need? Nothing now. I wanted to see what the plumber said. Alex slides his gun out of the holster and onto the fridge. I scoop myself from the seat of the recliner. I must have forgotten to turn my ringer on after school. I see one missed call from you, I say, scrolling. I have a test permit number I don't recognize. Could be from Ryan or Kent. But I'll read it later. Family first. Did you call more than that? It wouldn't matter if I called a million times. You never answer your phone, Alex says. His words smack. I have to focus on a mundane task that I can perform in a coma. I plump, I plump the couch cushions and a few large pieces of lint from the rug in the living room. Plumbers came. They didn't have a clue. They turned. Just what I figured. So we paid them for nothing. Alex unbuckles his belt and opens the basement door. I continue. They turned all the faucets on and still couldn't find where it's coming from. But at least they did get to experience it. It sprayed across the room and... This is ridiculous. How hard can this be? Like we are the only people in the world that have a water leak. Every time he breaks in, I feel like breaking down. I don't want to try to communicate anymore. I'm tired, but this is important. Alex, I plead, just calm down a second and listen. I am listening. What do you think I'm standing here doing? Sticking my finger. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to go there. Now that I've, now that I'd like to see. Okay. 
skip that too. He unbuttons his shirt and opens his eyes towards me. Well, I'm listening. Just a second, Alex. I don't remember what I was saying. <clears throat> I sit on the stool, resting my elbows on the bar. It's difficult having two conversations going on, the rational one in my hand and the, and the nonsensical one with Alex. The plumbers were shocked and <clears throat> when the water sprayed right past them. They had no suggestions. Anyway, we had no little problem. If I talk faster and breathe less, maybe he won't get a chance to interrupt me. Something's wrong with the commode in there. My gaze lights up, lights on the door to a half bath. Ben flushed the commode and water from it shot up and hit the ceiling. What do you mean hit the ceiling, Alex says, unsnapping the keepers on his gun belt. It actually hit the ceiling. Ben came and got me the first time it happened. The ceiling was soaked when I walked in and I had him. Boy, you'd fall for anything, wouldn't you? He's just messing with you. Dealing with kids at school, I think you wouldn't be so gullible. Alex descends into the basement, hangs his overworked uniform on the hall tree, yells for Ben, and stomps into the half bath. Let me see where we're at. Hang on, guys. Okay, I'm going to have to stop there <clears throat> so I can keep this at an hour. Thank you guys for being so patient today. I really appreciate it. In fact, let me get over here real quick. Give me a second. Thank you for being so patient today. Like I said, you can tell by my voice that it's in and out. And, and I really appreciate you being so patient. And please, <clears throat> please understand that there are parts of this book that I just don't feel comfortable reading out loud. Okay. You, you, like I said, you can catch that on an ebook or whatever. But yeah. Okay. I just want to do a quick reminder that Saturday I'm teaching a protection class. So anybody that's interested in protecting their house, their animals themselves, and uh, learning how to do it. You know, and I'm going outside the box with this. It's not the usual sage. It's not the usual um, sea salt and things like that. It's going to be different things that you can use that are easy to do around your house and easy stuff to learn. Um, that'll be at uh, 7 p.m. Pacific on Saturday evening. Uh, check it out at the California Haunts Meetup page and uh, go from there. Okay. Anyway, thank you all for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. Tomorrow, of course, is... is uh, Friday with Nancy and we've got some great topics that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about are we dealing with demons or are we dealing with an angry ghost? How, how to tell, you know, um, what you're dealing with in your home. Okay. So uh, we'll, I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. But I want to thank you all and I really appreciate you all being so patient tonight and understanding that I just didn't feel well today. Okay. So I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening.